tonight, we are going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 3. That's where we're going to start. We left off last week where it's, it's an amazing time. So the context is, you know, it, it's about eight, 800 B.C., give or take 20 years. And Israel is the people of covenant. They're in the covenant with God in the Old Testament. And the thread of Jesus and the promise of Jesus and that scarlet thread, if you will, of the promise to bring the Messiah into the world, the Christ, to save the world, save us from our sins and trespasses and separation from God, it's all coming through the house of David. And David was that great king around 1000 BC that God made the promise that through his descendant, the Savior would come, the Messiah. And so we went from David to Solomon and then Rehoboam and the divided kingdom of Israel where we had the ten tribes of Israel in the north, the two tribes of Benjamin and Judah in the south. And so we've had this connection of generations and heirs to the throne that are all direct descendants of David for the southern kingdom of Judah. And we left off last week with a very profound context because in the battle for power and how this works with kings and monarchs, we know that this often happens where people get executed when people are trying to consolidate power or eliminate threats. And we left off last week where there was a woman there in Judah named Jehoshabeth, and she was the daughter of a king, not a good king, and she was the sister of the king that just died, Ahaziah, not a good king. So her dad was a king, and her brother was the king, and neither one was good. They were both bad kings. But interestingly enough, she was married to the priest Jehoadiah. So she's, she's really like identifiable by who her dad was, who her brother was, and who her husband was. And we read last week at the tail end of chapter 22 that when Athaliah, the descendant of Ahab and Jezebel, when because Jehoshaphat had intermarried the lines of the northern kings with the Judah kings and the wicked house of Ahab and Jezebel trying to unify the kingdom of Israel. So you have this evil seed in the house of Judah and Athaliah, Queen Athaliah was the mastermind and evil presence of the spirit of Jezebel still existing on planet earth after Jezebel and Ahab had been struck down, both of them by the Lord. But she's there and she kills off the grandsons and any heirs to the throne and she usurps the throne in Judah. She becomes queen and she thinks there's no living heir to the throne. But she missed one descendant, which we talked about this at the tail end last week. But the promise of Jesus Christ coming through the line of David is down to one descendant, the direct line of David. And from Athaliah's mind, it, that promise is eradicated. She's a worshiper of Baal. It's just, it's not going to happen with the Jehovah, the God of Israel. And in her mind, she's now in power. And in the people's mind, she's now in power. But this Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, the sister of the king, and the wife of Jehoiadiah the priest, she had hidden the last descendant of David in the bloodline for the Messiah, Joash. And we talked about this, that no matter how dark it seems morally, spiritually, culturally, or how it seems like evil is prevailing over good, even if evil tilts the scale 99% to 1%, that 1% with the Lord is going to always flip the story sooner or later when it's all said and done in the human experience. 
But it is a fascinating time because there's really nothing to compare it to as we come into the context. This is the context. It would have been really dark in Judah with Athaliah being the queen and everyone thinking there's no descendant of David alive anymore at all. In fact, we could even say it was a hopeless time because all those promises made to David and Solomon, in their minds, there's no heir. But this woman, Jehoshabeth, along with her husband, Jehoadiah, had hidden Joash, the last descendant of David, in the heir to the throne that Jesus would come for the messianic line. And all those promises concerning Jesus. And that's our context, and it's an important one as we come to the text tonight. So we pick it up in chapter 23, and we read this. In the seventh year of Jehoiadiah, in the seventh year Jehoiadiah strengthened himself and made a covenant with the captains of hundreds. Azariah, the son of Jehoram, Ishmael, the son of Jehonan, Azariah, the son of Obed, Masiah, the son of Adiah, and Elishaphat, the son of Zikri. And they went throughout Judah and gathered the Levites from all the cities of Judah and the chief fathers of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem, the capital city. And then all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God, and he said to them, Behold, the king's son shall reign as the Lord has said of the sons of David. This is what you shall do. One-third of you entering on the Sabbath of the priests and the Levites shall be keeping watch over the doors. One-third shall be at the king's house and one-third at the gates of the foundation. All the people shall be in the courts of the house of the Lord, but let no one come into the house of the Lord except the priests and those of the Levites who serve. That is the temple and the temple area. They may go in, for they are holy, but all the people shall keep watch, keep the watch of the Lord. And the Levites shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapons in his hands. And whoever comes into the house, let him be put to death. You, you are to be with the king when he comes in and when he goes out. So the Levites and all Judah did according to all that Jehadiah the priest commanded. And each man took his men who were to be on duty on the Sabbath with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath. For Jehoadiah the priest had not dismissed the divisions. And Jehoadiah the priest gave the captains of hundreds the spears and large and small shields which had belonged to King David that were in the temple of God. He, he gave them weapons. He equipped them for military. Verse 10, then he set all the people, every man with his weapon in his hand from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple, along with the altar by the temple, all around the king. And they brought out the king's son and put the crown on him, gave him the law of the Lord, the Old Testament, and made him king. And then Jehoiadiah and his sons anointed him and said, long live the king. Man, what a shocker this would have been on that day for the people of Jerusalem. You, you just... It's almost like when Jesus was in the tomb for three days. Had you, you know, on the road to Damascus, did you not hear what happened in Jerusalem and all of us are in grief and sorrow? Like, the people really would have been without hope. There is no hope of all those promises. You've got a divided kingdom. You've got enemies all around. Jehoshaphat had his great victory over the Edomites and those people, Ammon and Moab, we just read about previously. But, like, it's just, it's just such an uncertain time geopolitically and even more importantly, spiritually. We know in the next chapter, we'll see this, Athelia built all, tore down, the, she attacked the worship of God and put in disarray the things of the temple devoted to worshiping God. And she empowered the prophets of Baal and built altars and stuff to Baal and strengthened the worship, the false idolatry of the false god Baal. So, man, it's a really dark time. She's been in power for six years. She's like an authoritarian, totalitarian queen. And 
like it is when you have corrupt people in power like this. They surround them with other corrupt people, and people live in fear. They keep their head down. They don't make eye contact when they pass each other on the street. No one says anything because they don't want to get in trouble for it, and you just try and find a way to survive. That's what it would have been like under the six-year reign uh, through Athaliah, Jezebel's granddaughter, I believe it is. Man, what, just what a, wow, what a horrible time. It's a horrible time. And all that time when people were without hope, here was this young king from basically being a, a newborn to seven years of age. God was working and moving, though no one could see it. God was on the move. He was going to bring about deliverance. He was going to maintain his promises and prove himself faithful and true to the people. But for six years, you would have just been so without hope. And we talked about this Saturday. Life has seasons. The human experience has seasons. And know this in God's universe. The darkest winter will always give way to spring. Even as the darkest night that we might experience, it will always give way to a dawn. And the Bible makes that clear because God has decreed it so. But what a dark time for the people living. It would have been so hopeless, like when Jesus was in the grave for three days. People had lost hope. Now, it's amazing that he pulled off this plan and kept it hidden from Athaliah, isn't it? I mean, like, conspiracies are hard, are hard, to, hard to hold. The more people are in on something, the, the more likely it'll leak. Like, if you look at Corrie ten Boom in the hiding place where she hid the Jews during the Nazi occupation of Holland, like, the parents, the neighbors, you know, they hear Jews laughter at night, right? It's all true. And you, you can't, you, sooner or later people know, like, Corrie ten Boom, the ten Boom family is hiding Jews. You can't hide it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian, he was the leader of a resistance church movement that didn't capitulate the gospel or the truth under Nazism. And when the Germans went one by one down the road to destruction upon their identity as a nation, the renouncing of true faith as a national church, the Lutheran state church, if you will, he held the line. And inevitably, he was a part of that conspiracy to assassinate Hitler. And it was well hidden, and he was way down the rabbit trail in the flow chart to be found, but in the end, he was found. And in the end, he was imprisoned. And in the end, shortly before Hitler took his own life, just very shortly before that, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hung and executed by the, Nazi, by the SS, actually. So I bring that up because history shows us that it's really hard to hide a conspiracy, even a good one. Isn't it amazing all these troops, all these people knew? Like all these people were brought in on the inner circle about this king, and yet Athelia doesn't know it. Which just reminds us, like if God's in it, he can blind people from knowing what's going on. That's the thing about the wicked. They get so consumed with their evil and what they're doing, they don't even pay attention to what's really going on. They become delusional in their thinking, demonic in their end results, and destructive in who they become and what they leave behind. And that's how Athelia was. She just... She missed it. This phrase in verse 3 gets our attention, and we saw this a fair bit when we were going through Chronicles and Kings, but yet we got to come back to it again here. Where It's, it's actually verse 4. Where Jehoiada, now Jehoiada lived much longer than most people in that era. In a post-flood world, we know that people lived like maybe 140 years and 120, 110, that kind of a thing. But by this time, David had already written that the our lives are fashioned for us when there's yet none of them. Moses had said the days of man are 70 years, 80 by strength. Moses lived 120. 
Jehoiada is going to live 130 years. But we've seen with these kings, right? Some of them only live like 40 years, 35 or 50, 60 years, Solomon, right? So for this guy, Jehoiada, to live 130 years is pretty amazing. But this guy, Jehoiada, this priest, that's how long he lived. He had a long life and to the benefit of the people that lived in Judah at the time that he was the priest. But he had this plan. Think about this, like the keys of the kingdom, the whole messianic promises, 300 promises fulfilled in Christ are all going to go through Joash, this newborn kid that's being hidden in the temple. That's pretty amazing. Genesis 3.15, the typology of Abraham offering of Isaac, all these things moving in human history, they've all come to one apex to this kid being hidden in the temple. And this priest, Jehoiada, who loves the Lord, fears the Lord, has this godly wife who's, who hid the kid in the first place, and together they formed this plan for seven years to protect this kid from the evil all around him. Almost again like Jesus when the attempts of Herod the Great were to see Jesus, baby Jesus killed. And he warned the wise men. He warned his parents. He warned them in dreams. They went to Egypt and all these things. In the end, God's going to always win. No matter what the chessboard looks like between good and evil, God will always never have checkmate upon him and what he's doing in time, space, and matter. But it's a fascinating time. We don't get any other time like this in the Old Testament. And that's why I'm emphasizing this, because the context is really profound and insightful for the faithfulness of God to bring about the promises of God. But Jehoiada and his plan, it just says that this is what you shall do. He had a plan. I quote this fairly often, but Pastor Chuck Smith used to say, you know, the best sense is common sense. You know, like, and when you're, you don't need to overthink the will of God sometimes, it's like the book of Proverbs is 31 chapters to tell us common sense is usually going to be the best sense. And a good plan is a good plan. And this is a good plan. This priest came up with a plan. There had to be a plan to protect this kid for six plus years. There had to be a plan against the attacks of evil that would come against him. There had to be a plan for the day he was coronated, coronated to not, that Athalia couldn't mobilize her thugs and her people to try and stop it. And the prophets of Baal, there had to be a good plan and there was a good plan. It reminds us in application, listen, it's good to have a good plan, a plan from the Lord. We're to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and then what we need will be added to us. But the prudent first evil and take refuge. It's, it's good to have a good plan. I was speaking with former deacon Randy Crasco the other night and he was talking about his daughter Malia that went to a, a Christian college for a year and it didn't it wasn't quite the way they thought it would be, and so she was going to come back. And I'm like, well, what's next? You know, it was a high tuition, a Christian college, a very high tuition Christian college for a year. You know, so, like, you, you kind of enrolled thinking it would go this way, four-year college down here, and, and then it didn't work out that way. And I said, well, what's the plan? He goes, oh, she's, she's doing OCC right now, and then she's going to get caught up in all the GE classes, and then she's going to transfer into Cal State Fullerton. That's a plan. You follow me? That's a plan. There, there's, there's a plan. And God guides us in good plans. This church, WG, Worship Generation, being here for 18 plus years, there was a plan to leave Calvary Costa Mesa with Chuck's blessings. There was a plan to end up in this church and not um, down the street at New Hope Gymnastics on their floor routine mat to be the first service. There was a plan to have people like Bobby Brown involved when we first started. 
There was a plan with pastors, Jeremy and Brian Jameson. There was a plan. We met for three months in our house, uh, 909 Tanan in Costa Mesa, when we used to live there every week with a remnant of the Worship Generation team from Calvary Costa Mesa to pray and go over the plan and refine the plan for starting a church in this building. And when we started that first service on that Saturday night, we had a plan. No pulpit, a blue billabong t-shirt, and if I did an altar call, Daniel Lindbergh had Bibles and follow-up materials just like we did at Big Calvary. That obviously didn't, wasn't really how it was going to work here, was it? It was a different thing coming here on Saturday night versus Monday night at Calvary Costa Mesa on the heels of Greg Glory and Harvest Ministries. But nonetheless, there's a plan. See, when we have a plan, we can adjust the plan. It says in Proverbs, know the state of your flock so you can take care of yourself in the winter and the lean day. There's a plan. So I just, I just like how a godly man who's a courageous man took courage and put together a great plan that obviously the Lord honored and was successful in the accomplishment of what it needed to do, preserving the line and the promises of the messianic seed of Jesus Christ, ultimately coming through the Virgin Mary. Just a reminder, success isn't random or dumb luck. And as I say, you know, I always put it this way in the kingdom. The more I pray and seek the Lord and the harder the work I work, the luckier I get. Sloppiness is not a premium with the Lord. Diligence is a premium with the Lord. Seeking first the kingdom of God is a premium with the Lord. Leaning not on understanding, but letting him acknowledge the ways and confirm things is the way. I'll leave you with just a practical quote. H.L. Uh, Hunt, the famous oil tycoon, he's quoted by so many people in the world these days from something he said like 100 years ago when he had no education and bought those oil wells near Galveston in Beaumont, Texas. But he said, the key to life is figuring out what you want to do and what you're willing to do to get it and putting together a plan and getting after it. And that's what this ministry has been for 19 years. This just didn't happen. There, there, was, there was a plan. And Calvary Costa Mesa and the tent, you know, from the little church to the tent, and, you know, the building that's there right now, 300 South Fairview Avenue, that's not dumb luck. There was, there was prayers and plans. So I'm just reminded that even in the crux of life, when it's so crucial, you're hiding Jews in Corey Tim Boom's house and figuring out how to get them out of Europe into a safe place, or whether you're conspiring against Hitler because it's the lesser of two evils to assassinate this guy, or whatever it is, we seek the Lord, and we come up with a plan, and we trust that he'll confirm the plan and work the plan out. And as a, the new word, you can pivot if the plan's not working and make adjustments. But the, the, the people without a vision, they perish. So we need the vision, we need the plan. And the higher the stakes are, the more important it is. So what are we doing? Why are we doing it? How are we going to do it? Where are we going to do it? When are we doing it? And who are we going to do it with? You just take those six things that you learn in any language, como, Okay, you know, you start grout you those six words of who, what, when, where, how, why, and you do it. And I always add to it, how do you define successful completion of a plan? I've been working on the book for nine months, right? We're getting there. Successful completion is when you're holding the copy of my book. <laughs> That's successful completion. And it's the right paper stock, it's the right weight. The photos look really good. It's high quality resolution. And it's a good read. And it doesn't it's not arduous, it's pleasant. And when you finish a chapter, you feel good about it. Good enough that you can close it right there or you can read on because you want to read more what came next. 
It's, it's been edited, it's been There's a plan. You don't get this rough idea and scribble out something on draft number one to get to a published book that you'll be holding in your hands before this year is done. And probably before, before even the summer months are done. It's a plan. So I just encourage us, like, let the Lord guide you in godly plans and seek him for those things. And the more important, the, the bigger the decisions are, the more important is that we take the time to think them through and pray over them but alas, we all know, don't double clutch and overthink it. When you got to save the only heir of David, then you figure out a plan really quick where you're hiding him in the temple and now you're protecting him and you put your team together to make sure you protect him until the day he can be revealed as king. You don't overthink it. Once you know it's the plan, go for it. Or as Colin Powell once said, leadership isn't always the right decision. It's making the decision and acting upon it. And so in my life experience, people who double clutch, they double clutch. But people who put together a plan, see it through, pros, cons, plus, minus, and then you just, you go for it. And then you can adjust. Once you define your destination and once you get going, then you can adjust on the road. Jehoiadiah, man, what a, what a hero. Have a plan. Don't be sloppy. Be diligent. Be faithful. And put yourself where God can bless you. Verse 12. Now, when Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. And when she looked, and there was a king, a little seven-year-old king, standing by his pillar at the entrance, and the leaders and trumpeters were with the king. All the people of the land were rejoicing, blowing trumpets, also the singers with musical instruments and those who led in praise. So Athaliah tore her clothes and said, treason, treason. Yeah, it's treason against evil. Kind of like the founding of this nation. Right? God knows who's right and who's wrong with any given thing at any given time. Right? Like, peaceful protest, right to assembly. Yeah. You know, like, singing during COVID when they tell you don't to sing, it's treason against evil. That's what it is. In the famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, by Dale Carnegie, almost anyone successful in business read that book, and a lot of people in ministry. I just found out my... The In-Laws, Christy Gallagher, it's her favorite book. In that book, one of the things that, it was written back in the 30s, one of the things that Dale Carnegie does is he shows how even the most violent criminals always justify themselves. And he's like, he talks to like uh, Muggsy, you know, all those, you know, those gangsters from Chicago in the 30s, Al Capone, like at Al Capone's trial, he justified himself. And, and he went through this list of all these famous criminals from his day who murdered people, killed people, did all these things, and he showed how every one of them justified themselves that they're in the right and completely justified in what they did. And he points out it's an actual human fact. No matter how evil you are, you justify yourself. And I'm quite certain Charles Manson up there at Pelican Bay is justified in his thinking for all the evil he did back in the 60s in Los Angeles. So I tell you, going, treason, 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 but... God knows. Like, God be true and every man a liar. He knows light. He knows darkness. He knows truth. He knows falsehood. And he knows. And like I said last week, when you're going to fight the good fight, make sure you're on the side of God's word, his truth, his promises, and the things he honors, and you'll know that you're on the right side of it. <laughs> this woman who killed all those heirs for the line of David, this woman who brought in the prophets of Baal to rule and reign in Judah and remove the true prophets, this woman who tore down the things of the altar and she's sitting there in the streets of Jerusalem in the temple court saying, treason, treason? Hey, Jehoiadiah the priest said in verse 14, he brought out the captains, hundreds who were set over the army, and he said to them, take her outside into the garden, slay her with the sword, and whoever follows her. 
For the priest had said, do not kill her in the house of the Lord. So they seized her, and she went by way of the entrance of the horse gate into the king's house, and they killed her there. Man, sometimes you just got to deal with it. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and the people. Oh, by the way, on that killing, the law tells us that any false prophet, anyone who supports a false prophet to lead people astray away from Jehovah is to be executed according to Deuteronomy and the law. So she's getting exactly what she deserves in a civil sense in God's law for the nation of Israel when they execute her in the horse's gate. Verse 16, then Jehadiah made a covenant between himself, the people, and the king that they should be the Lord's people. See, they're restoring lost things. And all the people went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. See that you got to, man, you got to, ah, you got to remove the things that are offensive. They tore down the, the temple of Baal, the things of Baal. They broke in pieces the altar images. They killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. Also, Jehoiadiah appointed the oversight of the house of the Lord to the hand of the priests and the Levites. He's restoring everything properly, whom David had assigned to the house of the Lord to offer burnt offerings of the Lord. As it is written in the law of Moses, with, with rejoicing and with singing as it was established by King David, and he set the gatekeepers at the gates of the house of the Lord so that no one who was in any way unclean should enter. And that's all biblical from the law of God in the Old Testament preceding this. Verse 20. Then they took the captain's of hundreds and the nobles, the governors of the people, and all the people of the land, and brought the king down from the house of the Lord, and they went through the upper gate to the king's house, set the king on the throne of the kingdom, so all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet, for they had slain Athaliah with the sword. Like literally, ding dong, the wicked witch is dead. Like the joy and the peace forever. There's peace. When the evil are put in place and and stopped, there's peace on the land. There's a blessing on the land. But it's not good with the city when the evil reign, as it says in Proverbs. I just can't even imagine if you woke up that day with no hope and you realize when they're blowing trumpets and Athelia's executed and her thuggery and the life of fear that she put upon everybody like totalitarians and authoritarians do, like Stalin or Hitler or Mao Zedong killing a million Chinese people. Like, what, what, just when you real, like, when there's actually a liberation, which there hasn't been for mainland China, but when there's a liberation from these things, and there's a breath of fresh air. It's like, wow. Like, when you realize where there was no hope, and then one day you realize there is hope, it's kind of like people at the Harvest Crusade, the pond. Surely there were people that went to the pond with no hope this summer to the Harvest Crusade. And by the time Great Glory was done preaching the gospel, they had hope. They had been under the reign of Athelia, the devil himself, having dominion over their lives, their thoughts, making them slaves of sin, slaves of their flesh, and slaves to the grave. And slaves to the devil. But when the gospel message comes, there's trumpets, there's praise, the true king, the real king, not Jehoash, but King Jesus who came through Jehoash. The captors are set free, and there's hope. Jesus is a hope that's an anchor to the soul. And even as these people on this day had rejoicing and hope for the first time, out of total despair, where there was no hope, there was zero percent chance of hope for the messianic promises. And then one day it flipped like that. And trust me, believe me, you, as we know, that's the way it's going to be with the return of the king and the second coming of Jesus Christ. All the frustrating things that create, that, that accentuate evil and create a hopelessness for so many people, the anxiety in men's hearts failing them for fear of things to come. Jesus Christ will set it straight, the king of peace. Chapter 24. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba and. Uh, Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest, and Jehoiada took two wives for him, 
and he had sons and daughters. They're rebuilding the messianic line. Now, it happened after that that Joash set his heart on repairing the house of the Lord. And then he gathered the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go out to the city of, cities of Judah and gather from all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year that, and see that you do it quickly. However, the Levites, and of course they were, this was their job, they did not do it quickly. So the king called Jehoiadiah, the chief priest, and said to him, Why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and from Jerusalem the collection according to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and all the assembly of Israel for the tabernacle of witness, that is, the temple? For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman, had broken into the house of God and had also presented all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord to the Baals. And then, the king's, then at the king's command, they made a chest and set it outside the gate of the house of the Lord. And they made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to bring to the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had imposed on Israel in the wilderness wandering, you know, way back like 700 years prior when they came out of Egypt. Then all the leaders and all the people rejoiced brought their contributions, put it in the chest until all had given. So it was at that time when the chest was brought to the king's official by the hand of the Levites, and when they saw that there was much money that the king's scribes and the chief priests, officers came, emptied the chest, took it and returned it to its place. Thus they did day by day and gathered money in abundance. The king and Jehoiadiah gave it to those who did the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and they hired masons and carpenters to replace the house of the Lord, and also those who worked in iron and bronze to restore the house of the Lord. So the workmen labored and the work was completed by them. They restored the house of God to its original condition and reinforced it. Praise the Lord, always forward the kingdom of God. And when they had finished, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiadiah. They, and they made from it articles for the house of the Lord, articles for serving and offering, spoons and vessels of gold and silver. And they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiadiah. So Jehoiadiah the priest has had the influence on Jehoash to influence him for godly things and good things, much like an uncle or a grandparent or just a key person for positive godly influence on this young boy, Joash, who becomes a man under the influence. Remember, Joash only lived 47 years, Jehoiadiah 130. Jehoiadiah is linked to the time of Solomon. Like He's, he's lived a, a full life, and he's seen a lot of things come and go. He's, a, he's got that wisdom and he didn't execute the plan so well originally for getting the money to restore the temple, but once a king and a politician, because they tend to worry about money pretty diligently, got them motivated and going, they got everything taken care of, and these large offerings came in, and not only did they restore what was damaged because of the time of Bethalia, but they took it forward from that. It, it all gets redistributed. It just, all the wealth, it goes back and forth. It, it never goes... Apart from as unto the Lord and the eternal fruit that comes from it, it never goes vertically. It doesn't transcend dimensions in the sense of physically. The motive of giving and the fruit of giving does, uh, but it just gets redistributed. So the Lord, they, they made themselves available. God blessed them, and there was an abundance of, of giving. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? That's an interesting quote that you get in the New Testament writings were, he, did, he didn't say it in the Gospels that way. He implied it, but then he, it's quoted that way in the apostolic writings. And we know that there's givers and takers. And you know the saying, givers keep on giving because they're always willing to keep on forgiving. Takers take, it's never enough, even when they're taking almost all your stuff. And the whole world is divided in givers and takers. It's that simple. A disposition, a generous disposition to be generous with your time and energy and your resources with other people. 
what you give away comes back to you. And the amount that you sow, it comes back to you. And the amount that you don't, it comes back to you. And if we sow to the spirit, we reap life. If we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption. And if, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the one who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. The one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Verse 15. But Jehoiadiah grew old and was full of days, and he died. And he was one of 130, he, he was 130 years old when he died. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings. Because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and his house. So that's amazing. They buried him with the kings, even though he was a priest. Now, after the death of Jehoiadiah, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king. And the king listened to him. And therefore, they left the house of the Lord, uh, the Lord God of their fathers, and served wooden images and idols. And the wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespasses. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord. And they testified against them, but they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiadiah, the priest, who stood ab above the people and said to them, Thus says God, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you've forsaken the Lord, he also has forsaken you. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness of Jehoiadiah his father had done to him but killed his son, and he, as he died, he said, the Lord look on, on and repay it. Isn't it amazing how evil people can be? Joash, you know, and this is why a strong finish is so crucial in life. Jehoash made good decisions as long as Jehoiadiah was alive. Jehoiadiah and his wife risked their lives for seven years to save this king to become king and live the life he's living. And he repaid them by killing his son, the prophet, because he wasn't willing to heed the voice of the Lord. And very true what Zechariah said, the Lord look upon and repay. You know, isn't that life sometimes when you just get an injustice, you just got to go, man, the Lord, you're walking away, whatever the situation is, an injustice in you know, divorce court, custody battles, anything. He's like, you know, falsely accused at work and you got fired and the boss's kid kept the job, you know, the corrupt one. It's like, you know, the Lord look upon it and repay. That's, that's the best. Just let it go and just move on to the next thing. Life's too short. To be judge and jury of the human race, God's better at it than we are. Still, though, <laughs> it's truth when you say it. Verse 23. So it happened in the spring of the year that the army of Syria came up against him, and they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the leaders of the people from among the people and sent all the spoil to the kings of Damascus. For the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men, but the Lord delivered a very great army into their hands because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. So they executed judgment against Joash. And when they had withdrawn from him, for they, had, for they left him severely wounded, his own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the sons of Jehoiadiah, the priest, and killed him on his bed. So he died. And they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. Ironic, right? He was buried in the city of David, but not with the kings. But the priest, Jehoiadiah, was buried with the kings. God knows. Verse 26. These are the ones who conspired against him. Zabed, the son of Shimeath, the Ammonitus, and Jehozabad, the son of Shimri, the Moabitess. Now concerning his sons and the many oracles about him, uh, repairing of the house of God, indeed they are written in the annals of the book of the kings, then Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Now we spent a lot of time on Jehoash and Jehoiadiah when we went through kings, and that's why I just kind of moved along. Now we have one more text here, and we'll get this. Amaziah, was chapter 25, was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years. Uh, in Jerusalem, his mother's name was Jehodon of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, 
but not with a loyal heart. And in other words, he's like a good politician, but it's not really there truly. Verse 3. Now it happened as soon as the kingdom was established for him that he executed his servants who had murdered his father, the king. However, he did not execute their children, but did as written in the law of the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, saying, The fathers shall not put to death for their children, nor shall the children be put to death for their fathers, but a person shall die for his own sin. This is a unique thing only because we know if you study medieval monarchs like Russia, France, and all these other people, Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Prussians, that when you did something like this, you killed all the kids because you don't want a kid growing up and getting revenge on you for what you, what you did to their father or their mother. So it's really common to wipe out the entire uh, competing royal family. So yet God did say not to do that. So it's kind of nice. I mean, it's to his credit, and it's there. It just, it just reminds us that we all stand or fall on our own good decisions, and we all stand or fall on our own bad decisions before the Lord. Verse 5. Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and set over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds according to their fathers' houses throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war who could handle spear and shield. He also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel from 100 talents of silver. But a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel. Not with any of the children of Ephraim. That's one of the tribes of the northern kingdom. But if you go, be gone, be strong in battle. Even so, God shall make you fall before the enemy. For God has power to help and to overthrow. Then uh, Amaziah said to the man of God, But what, 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 what shall I do about the hundred talents which I just have given the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. So Amaziah discharged the troops that had come to him from Ephraim to go back home. Therefore, their anger was greatly aroused against Judah because they returned home in anger. These guys were looking forward to just looting and pillaging. Verse 11. Then Amaziah strengthened himself, and leading his people, he went to the Valley of Salt and killed 10,000 of the people of Seir. Also, the children of Judah took captive 10,000 alive, brought them to the top of the rock, cast them down from the top of the rock, so they were dashed in pieces. This is like Middle Eastern stuff right here, man. They don't mess around. Verse 13. But as for the soldiers of the army which Amaziah had discharged, they would not go within the battle. They raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Horon and killed 3,000 in them and took much spoil. Now it was so when Amaziah came from the slaughter of the Edomites that he brought the gods of the people of Seir, set them up to be his gods, and bowed down before them and burned incense to him. Therefore the anger of the Lord was aroused against Amaziah, and he sent him a prophet who said, why have you sought the gods of the people which could not rescue their own people from your hand? Like, you're like hello. Verse 16, so it was as he talked with him that the king said, have we made you the king's counselor? Cease, why should you be killed? Then the prophet ceased and said, I know that God is determined to destroy you because you've done this and not heeded my advice. Man, Amaziah, you know, I've seen people like this in ministry. I've seen people like this in the body of Christ. And this is what they're like. They're excited when they come to the Lord and they make some good decisions. They do this and they do that. They make a couple good decisions. And then, like they, they go all in with Jesus, it looks like, and then suddenly they back out of that. And then they go completely against it. Well, like Bob Dylan. You know, Bob Dylan did all those songs, you know, going to serve somebody, Jesus, the devil, whatever. He did a couple songs all about Jesus, and then he renounced that faith in Jesus. Like, dude, Bob Dylan, man. You are a rolling stone, right? Like, like for a guy, that you, like, 
But we, you see people like that. I've seen people so excited in a sense about the Lord, and maybe it's intellectual or something. And then, like, they leave their spouse or whatever, and they do this and that. And people are like, dude, I thought you were a Christian. No, I, I renounce my faith. And then people come to the pastor and go, like, what does that mean in eternity? Like, I don't know. Look in the mirror and figure out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's not a good thing to do, though. But I've seen it. People are like, how could a person, like, like commit tens, you know, th- tens of thousands of dollars to a faith in Jesus and cost them certain things economically, and a year later do something completely contrary to it, like grab the idols of the Edomites and set them up in their living room? I don't know, but people do it. And then they get defensive when you say something to them about it, whether you're a friend or a relative or the pastor. Really? Like, what are you like, hey, don't tell me what to do. You're like, we all know how it goes like that. The human experience is such a... Well, it's a vapor, so enjoy it (laughs) for what it is. It's ups and downs and all the twists and turns that life gives us. It's it's amazing that he made a good decision to release the 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 Israelis from the north, the northern kingdom guys. And he's like, okay, he made a really good decision. Huge step of faith. And then you bring home the idols of the Edomites who you just destroyed. And you, you, you literally in life sometimes look at people and go like, how, what are you thinking? Like, what, what is going on in your mind? And it's like, I don't know. And you, you just, what can you do? And you say something truthful to him like the prophet said. And he's like, hey, you better watch it. I'm still the boss around here. And like, oh, what are you going to do? Except don't be that person. And I love what God said to him in, uh, back there in verse 9. When he said, what about all the money I spent for this army? He said, you know, the Lord, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. And we are reminded that the Lord's, to do the right thing, to obey the Lord and do the right thing when he's trying to stop you from doing the wrong thing is always the right thing. So if you make a decision, the Lord's like, no, I'm not in this. The best thing you can do is admit you're not in it and correct it. I asked my friend back in Florida, who's a house flipper, you know, I always like to get, like, macro thoughts from different people that are super successful, and he is. And I said, give me some macro thoughts about being a flipper and what, what are the things you've learned. Fire the bad contractor right away. That was thought number one. Just admit you made a mistake and fire him right away. Don't try and save it. Don't try and work through it. Save that seven grand, 12 grand. You've already lost it. Just accept you've lost it and fire him right away. The worst thing you can do is maintain an arduous project <laughs> with a bad contractor. You know, that's really good counsel, so remember that. Get a bad contractor. My buddy that's 17 for 17 on flip says, fire him right away. Don't even mess around. People, whatever, you know, cash for keys. Just deal with it. <sighs> God will always, in this story, we read that, like, just do the right thing, and if you made a mistake, make it right, and, and don't, don't be prideful. Don't get defensive. Just make it right to your own benefit. If you've, made, if you've taken a step in a certain direction and you realize it's not right, just realize it's not right and try and make it correct as soon as you can. And we, we know it's like, sort of like, you're, sometimes it's ambiguous. You're not certain, like, well, I did the best I could. We'll give this time. But sometimes you just know. I mean, when the prophet shows up and says, hey, don't hire the Israeli army from the north, you know. What about the hundred pieces of silver, thousand pieces, talents of silver? What about the money I've already invested in this, this project? It's like, listen, man, is the Lord not able to replace it? It's never about the money. It's about the heart and obedience and being the place where God can bless you. Just eat it. 
Eddie Gonzalez was the coach of Calvary Chapel softball, women's softball, and he used to have a saying, they're a fantastic team, made the playoffs all the time. They're CIF, I saw them play big games. But, you know, you see with Little League when they start throwing the ball around everywhere and everyone's go it's like a merry-go-round. You're, you're giving up all these runs because you're throwing it here and throwing it there. And he'd say, eat it. Stop the damage. One runs in. Don't start throwing the ball all over the infield and making more air. Some more runs come in. Make it right. Eat it. Stop the damage. Eat it. Figure out what it is and make it right. Is not the Lord able to do much more than this? And the answer is yes. WG Body Christ. If the Lord says, eat the thousand pieces of silver, eat them. Because it's never about the money. It's about the heart and being in a place where God can bless you. Yes and amen. Now, verse 17 finishes out the chapter. Now, Amaziah, the king of Judah, asked advice and sent to Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, come let us face one another in battle. And Joash, king of Israel, similar names for the northern kings and southern kings in this time had similar names because of the family linkage between them all. In case you thought, like, wasn't we just had a Joasha? Yes. And it's because at the same timeline they had similar names. So he sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, The thistle that was in Lebanon sent to the cedar that was in Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son his wife. And a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. A little proverb. Indeed, you say that you've defeated the Edomites, and your heart is lifted up to boast. Stay at home now. Why should you meddle with trouble that you should fall, you and uh, Judah with you? But Amaziah would not heed, for it came from God that he might give them into the hand of their enemies, because they had sought the gods of Edom. Man, they didn't help the Edomites, and they won't help you. So Joash, king of Israel, went out. He and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his tent. Then Joash, the king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz of Beth Shemesh, and he brought him to Jerusalem, broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits, and he took all the gold and the silver, all the articles that were found in the house of God with Obed-Edom, the treasures of the king's house, the treasures of the king's house, and hostages, human trafficking, and he returned to Samaria. Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. So after all this, he's, he, that, the southern king, Amaziah, was still king for 15 years. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah from first to last, indeed, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. After the time of Amaziah turned away from following the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. But there he sent after him in Lachish and killed him there. Then they brought him on horses and buried him with his father's in the city of Judah. Indeed, you've defeated the Edomites, and your heart is lifted up to boast, and you meddle to your own trouble. Because these kings, there's 19 of them, you know, and it's just, it's history. It's truth, and yeah, I read these kings like, ah, here's another one of these guys, but that's just the way it is. We live with these people. They're our neighbors. They drive by us on the freeway. We work with them. And they sometimes come to our family dinner and Thanksgiving. So you just try and figure out the best way you can to, to work with people like this and, and be gracious, but not, not. These things are written for our admonition. And um, man, do the right thing and keep doing the right thing. And definitely don't bring home the idols from the Edomites. Things that destroy people's lives in the world, they're going to destroy people's lives in the church. That's, that's, the, that's the truth, and that's the moral of the story. 